everyone. It's time to eat, drink, and be merry with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's third Friday travel writers panel discussion with the International Food Wine Travel Writers Association. We call them IFTWA. It's very easy to say, and you can go to ifwtwa.org to learn more about this awesome organization that connects food, wine, travel writers with destinations and everybody in the hospitality, food, wine, travel industry, which we all love. And that's what we're talking about today. We've got two awesome writers joining us today to talk about foodie destinations, not just across the country here in America, but around the world. Uh, we're going to welcome back Diane Dobry, who's been on the show before. Uh, her website is gettinghungry.com. So you know we're going to Hungary. So welcome back, Diane. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm glad to be on today. Yeah, good to have you back. Last time we were talking about Hollywood and Hungary, and today we're we're literally going to get hungry, aren't we? Yeah, I did send some things about the Viking River cruise I took from Budapest to Amsterdam as well. So um, I don't know if we're going to get to that yet, but it's up to sure. you. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna eat our way around the world. Why not, right? It, I think it sounds good. Our next guest is Janine Consoli. You can go to her website, jconstravels.com. So welcome, Janine. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. This is great. And uh, you started out teaching. Was that part of your beginning background? Yeah, I was. Um, well, I you know the first part was I was an advertising exec, and then stayed with my home with my kids and certified to teach. And then I had a classroom of my own for like 15 years. And on summer break, we always went somewhere because I'm a travel addict. So I decided to make travel writing my career. That's awesome. You see, I love it. I love when you can just keep learning and growing. And I think from being advertising and education, those two <laughs> things have to help in regards to telling a good story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you really have to get those kids engaged. Otherwise, you've lost them. So same thing with readers, right? You got to yeah. set them right up. Yeah. And, and you know, Diane, with your background too, I mean, what makes your stories, what is it that you're able to deliver such a powerful story of like, you must go, no matter what, you must go to this place? Um, yeah, I like to um, to just explore and observe. And when I, you know, I went to Hungary the first time um, about, hmm, well, 2003, New Year's, New Year's Eve into 2004. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I, I can't even imagine it. And, and now I, I've gone so many times. I lived there and everything. So, you know, I, I, I feel like I've kind of immersed myself enough to be able to explain, you know, what I've learned and what I've enjoyed there. Yeah, I don't think, you know, um, many people really focus on Hungary as a main, we, Italy and France and things, but Hungary, I think sometimes gets left off the plate. Oh, did I say plate? <laughs> a little bit uh, more than what it should. And yet, historically, we've had a huge connection uh, between the countries. And if you look at a lot of, you know, people's backgrounds in this country, a lot of it will come from, oh, my family was from Hungary or, you know, Germany, but at one point it was Hungary or a, a Austrian, like that's our family depends on what year you're looking at. But I think a lot of us have that background, you know, in our heritage. So I think it's cool that you you focus on Hungary, but you travel other places too, right? 
Right. Yeah. And like I went on the Viking River cruise because I love Germany. I was a, a Fulbright uh, recipient and went to Germany and Belgium in the early 2000s. But um, I live in Orlando, so there's a lot of stuff going on there, too, as far as food goes. Janine was just saying how she likes the food here. And, and it's it's true. There's I just went to the Paris Baguette Bakery for the first time. It just opened here and I was like, oh my God, I'm taking pictures and buying stuff. But um, honestly, I think a lot of people that, that go to Budapest, they'll either be going on a cruise and they'll say to me, what do you think I should do there? Or I just had a cousin contact me and say, what should I do in Hungary? Where's the best places to go in Budapest? And I'm going back there in June. So I'm going to see what's up since COVID. So Hopefully I'll have news. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you're going back. You know, Janine, you're in Sarasota, right? And I hear that that's a good food scene too. Yeah, we have a lot of good food. I mean, especially if you're a seafood lover. Um, and the farms are really fabulous. I go to the farmer's market every Saturday. You get great organic produce. And so therefore in the restaurants, I mean, they're sourcing fish that's just come out of the Gulf. It's incredible. So um, it's a really great foodie destination with some stunning views too. So you can always grab a seat and watch sunset and have a glass of wine or a cocktail. Um, so I like the lifestyle here. It's really up my alley really. Well, Florida is good because it's warmer weather too, you know, so things grow. Uh, the produce is always, so one thing I love about Florida, I'm like, I can get avocados. I know I can get avocados. Like to me, whenever, when we first started traveling full time across the country, going from Arizona and Southern California, I'm like, what's going to happen? Like about <laughs> avocados. Like, honestly, <laughs> if I don't have, I, that, that is like the necessity. That's yeah. like wine. Those two things, if you don't, you know, that's not happening. But what I want to touch on with both of you being food, wine, travel writers is the role of food telling the story of a place. So let's start with you, Janine. Do you remember that kind of aha moment where it's not just the, the hotels are important and where you stay and, and what you experience, but how does food make you understand a place better? Uh, well, I've had many experiences throughout the, you know, I've been writing since 2017, but even traveling prior to that where, you know, obviously when you're in France, you just, you have these incredible wines from the, from the regions that are nearby. And then you have this produce and then you have this cheese and then, you know, and then of course, Italy, I mean, that is really about terroir, but in the United States, I didn't realize how important that is as well. And I just recently came back from Seattle where I had a true taste of Washington state where I met a chef who wants to just be ultra, ultra local. And he cooked for us on the beach using apple wood from an apple vineyard that was, you know, down the road, or you know, clams and and oysters that were plucked right from the water where we were on the beach, and um, and of course, you know, local vegetables. And he just whipped up this amazing lunch, and you're just shocked when you drink wine from the vineyard on Bainbridge Island where we had the lunch, where we had the oysters, where we had the, and it's just, it's just incredible eating. You know, it's just a real flavor and a taste of a place. It's really. And it's different than getting something packaged. You know what I mean? You really have a different, you know what I mean? Even just. too. And yeah. Oh, I like that. And, and for you, Diane, what is it about food in regards for you 
about taste of place because I remember you talking about sandwiches before and how sandwiches are different in Hungary than what we have here. And even the spices like the paprika, that is something, you know, different. Yeah, I, I think um, two things. One is um, the wine in Hungary. People don't know about the wine. And when I, I did import Hungarian wine to the U.S. for a while, and when I first started doing it, I was like, you know, I, I wasn't big on wine. But when I tasted it, I'm like, this wine is really tasty and smooth. It, it was, um, you know, people know the sweet wines from Hungary, but there's a lot of really good reds. And the whites around um, Balaton Lake are—they represent—they're kind of like Austrian wines, but it—it's—it's it's something that I feel like is a secret. And I wanted to write about it and 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 sell it because I thought people don't even know about Hungary, and and this is one part of it that that's really—they were at one time on par with France as. Um, a premier wine producing country in Europe before all the, the wars. But the other thing about Hungary is when I go there, the, the vegetables, it's, a, it's an agricultural country. The vegetables are amazing. You go into a vegetable store and um, the, the fruits are sticky because they're, they're freshly picked and the tomatoes are just always taste like, you know, in, in New York, I would always have a good tomato in August. And that was about the only time I could get a really good tomato. In Hungary, they're always that rich, deep tomatoey flavor. And just there's just always fresh. I think you have the picture behind you is from the marketplace <laughs> in, in uh, Budapest. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. I think so. But, you know, to me, that's the thing. I go to markets, you know, wherever we are, just mm -hmm. out of pure curiosity to see what are they growing you know, and, and I wonder about, I mean, our country has food deserts. We have areas. And I think as writers, by showcasing the places that don't and what they're doing, it kind of encourages other communities to understand what's in their backyard um, and also go beyond a restaurant, too, or work with the restaurants that are trying to be as hyper local as you were talking about, Janine, because it helps the economy and it doesn't it boost the health of the populace as exactly. well yeah it also it boosts the health of of the earth because you're not draining resources trucking things all over the place you know you're if, if a group of people decide they just want to get from the local purveyors then they have to eat seasonally and they have to eat what's what's available mm -hmm. and also the dishes that come from places like in Natchitoches, Louisiana. I just did a recording with them and we're always going to Louisiana, but they have a meat pie and then it's a state dish and the meat pie comes, it's a hand down recipe that's been changed through the years by different people do it different ways. Some it's seafood, some it's meat. It's it, They have a festival over it. And something everyone's proud of. It's like, if you go to Natchitoches, Louisiana, you've got to have a meat pie. I'm sure there's vegetarian ones out there for vegetarians, that's like beignets in New Orleans and, you know, Boudin in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. So I think all these places have something, but they tell the story of the people. Mm -hmm. Do you have any stories like that you can share, Diana, about your travels where you understand like, okay, this this came from somebody made this at some point. Is You know, a lot of times it's peasant food, I think. <laughs> well, that's one of the things, The one of the first things when I, I stayed there in the summer of 2004, and my friend picked me up and he said, we're going for a cookout at his friend Tamash's house. And 
I thought, what do they do for a cookout? And what they have is a cauldron mm. over, like it looks like the witch's cauldron with the, the tripod holding it up. And he was making goulash in the backyard over a fire. And then he took me through his garden and orchards and he's just pulling stuff off of trees and plants. And, oh, here's, you know, apricots and here's, you know, whatever. He was growing all kinds of stuff just in the backyard. Um, made his own wine, so he served that with the goulash. And um, the other thing about Hungary is the breads. I mean, I remember my grandmother, whose mother was from Hungary, she said she would make five loaves of bread a week, and she said each loaf was about as big as five loaves of bread. And when you go to the bakery there, you, you get like a quarter of a loaf just to to use for a few days because it's so fresh. And, you know, everything oh, is... Wow. Is, is really fresh even and then another friend of mine was cooking a, a cookout and he made fish soup they call it halasle which is like a fish with tons of paprika and this big giant fish that cooks like all afternoon and and then you eat that so it's it's really interesting the way they do that it's but it's not just goulash when you go to Hungary there's a right. lot What's interesting with the big pot outside in South Africa, they'd have, um, you know, they call them a braai, which is a barbecue. And would, they would, somebody would do a poiki kos. And a poiki is like a small pot, but they're really not, they're pretty big depending on the family. And it's really whatever they have goes into this pot. And somehow it's always delicious. I, you know, I, I, I don't, so I've, I've seen poiki kos that was beans and, you know, weenies you know kind of thing but it's it's not the same you know it's just there's this thing that they do with poikikos and then pop and vors like vors is uh it's like sausage but it's a little fattier and uh pop is uh mealy meal uh mealy pop it's maize like a maize like what you have for um what do you guys call it here ah it it's like Oh, I think it's more Italian maybe, but it's um, polenta? polenta. Polenta, thank you. Yeah, it's like that, a little bit different. But every African country does their maize a little bit differently. Wow. Some you can grab by a chunk of with your hands. That's how it's eaten. And then some it's like, here's your, your moist pop. And then we have train smash, which is tomato and onion and, and peppers. And when I got to this country, which I'm I'm from, but I didn't really grow up here, I was like addicted to salsas and I still am because it's the closest I have to what we call train smash, which I suppose is not nice to say, but going back to those big pots, that's why I said, I think it comes from people cooking with whatever they have. And then these amazing meals become these signature dishes, you know, well, you talking about the big pot out on the beach. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it was, it was not the first time I'd had a meal out on the beach. I was in Maine and um, I was on a school. Oh, yeah. And so we pulled up in the in basically Rockport, Maine, which is, you know, the lobster capital of the United States. Um, they snagged a whole bunch of lobsters and then they put them in a pot with water, corn, potatoes, and layered big heaps of seaweed on top. And they just boiled them up. And then we were given um, a whole lobster, piece of corn, a piece of potato, and you never had anything better. I mean, Wow. And that's like right on the rocky coast of Maine. See, so our own country have. Fresh. Yeah, it's about using that fresh part of it. Is there for either one of you, I'll start with you, Janine, 
something that you go, I don't know if I want to try it. Like you get nervous, especially overseas. You're like, I don't know, man, why, why are they making me eat this? Am I going to eat it? And then maybe even something you don't like, you know, you've been to go to a bed and breakfast. They're like, oh, we're having this again. You're like, mm. um, and then you, you know, how do you handle the, I don't want to. And then sometimes you're pleasantly surprised and sometimes you're dead on. How do you handle that? I was in Portugal and there was, again, again, cooking on the beach. It seems to be a theme with me, but they were grilling sardines. And um, as a kid, I'd always thought of sardines in a can. Like I would never oh, been yeah, yeah. there where you had a real caught sardine and they're pretty decently sized, you know, pretty large. And the meal was simply sardines grilled, a hunk of bread and a, a fresh tomato salad. So it was tomato and onion. Um, and I said, oh, well, you know, I can either eat the bread and the tomato salad and forego the sardine, but why don't I just peel the skin away and eat it? And it was unbelievable. Like all you had on it was olive oil, salt, and pepper. And it was fabulous. It was fresh. It was, wasn't fishy. I, I didn't know what I was going to expect, but I ended up really enjoying it. Yeah, you have to kind of get through the, that's interesting because it is stuff from childhood that you go, I don't know, you know yeah. what I mean? It's it's like, that is a, in, in South Africa, they would have sardines and condensed milk. <laughs> Not for me, I'm allergic to fish. And at that point, I'm like, thank God. <laughs> I'm all good with that. For no. you, Diane, has there been something that you're like, mm -mm, I'm not doing it? Well, I um, I took a bunch of um, students from a, an ag business program over to Hungary, and they wanted to see oh. not just the culinary, but the you know the dairy and all this stuff. And um, the first the the tour people took us on a tour of Budapest, and the first place we went to was kind of a meat and sausage place that had all kinds of samples, and they had blood sausage. So I had never, <laughs> I mean. I've learned to like sausage more and and I had the blood sausage there. And on the on the Viking River cruise, I did an excursion where we went to Regensburg and we made white sausage. And so we, you know, he showed us how the temperature was really important and that we I I was actually uh, I have a picture of myself with the yeah. the um what was it, the innards of the the pig or whatever where the sausage would go in but it cooked in like 15 minutes and we got to eat it. It was so delicious that after that I came home and I was buying white sausage at uh, Trader Joe's. And um, and then the other thing in Hungary is they, they eat a lot of liver and I never would have thought I would eat liver. I just went out today and bought duck liver pate because I love it. I, I just become, you know, just a fan of wild? some of these unusual meats. I eat Marmite, Vegemite. <laughs> I don't know what it's like, but I'm going to UK in uh, June also. and uh, It's and good. It. Well, I'll say it's good. You either love it or hate it, right? It's like guacamole. Some people don't like guacamole and I don't understand that. Yeah, I understand it, no. I can't, that's a staple. But yeah, Marmite is, it's very salty. It's like salty grease. It's like mo salty molasses, but it's, Wow. It's really good. I don't know. I just grew up on it. So it became a thing. And recently I got some and it was the best thing on the planet. It's the best. Yeah. Is there something neither of you like at all? Like there's no way no one's going to twist your hand. So I grew up eating scallops. And I know that sounds weird, but 
my dad um, always brought them home on Tuesdays because he was he worked near a fish market. He was a doctor. And so he would always bring them home. And my mom just cooked them the same way every time. So now that I'm here um, in a more tropical place, everyone raves about scallops. You know, if you've been to some great restaurants. So scallops is just one of those things where I, I kind of pause. I don't really always... I would never order them for myself. If someone offered me a bite, I would. But that's just a random kid memory where you just know you didn't, you just didn't like it. And yeah. people love them. I mean, everybody loves them, but I just can't. I wish I could eat them. I can't eat shellfish but, or seafood. Yeah, but but I, yeah. I've never, ever, ever liked green beans. And when people say, oh, I'm making steak and green beans, I'm like, it, to me. Oh, oh Thanksgiving like the and the green bean salad. The worst oh flavor I can imagine that. And, and I would never, I haven't gone to any of the exotic countries where they eat like eyeballs and bugs. I, I couldn't, I don't see myself. I eat broth before I eat any of that. <laughs> I, I, I've eaten bugs. Just a, it's a kid thing, man. We ate flying ants and they do taste like peanut butter, not chicken. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I have tried but, crickets. I have tried yeah. that get flour as well so oh it's supposed to be really good for you flour yeah they yeah. grind cricket they dry them and grind them it's a great so source of protein and everybody is looking towards other food sources so mm -hmm. i remember well, i think watching oh go ahead go ahead I remember watching a show years ago i think i was in high school and they were saying at some point we were going to have bees as croutons on our salad and i'm like oh. God, I could never do that. I would oh, never wow. eat bumblebees for croutons. No, I, I, I could forego that. But I think it's interesting how we're looking for these other sources and instead of fixing what we have in our backyards. And I think that's what's so important about being food writers and food and travel going together because, and I include wine and distilleries and all of that good stuff, right? But because it's about getting back to that local taste and and having an integrity to the land and the place and the people and telling those stories like I was saying a lot of these dishes come from pheasant food and end up being in you know served in Michelin star restaurants you know it's like oh this is something really important and mm. I think that's the important thing with traveling do you take that on when you're traveling and writing down about that being an important part not just hey come here but this is something to be cherished yeah mm-hmm I know in um, Hungary, they um, they always have sour cherry season. Um, and then there's also the asparagus season. And in Germany, when I've been in Germany, they had asparagus in their marketplace. So it, everything was in the restaurants, asparagus soup or asparagus with something. And in, in Hungary, one time somebody gave me, when I was living there, they gave me a big bag full of tart cherries. And they said, you're going to have to do something with them like right away. And my kitchen was was pink from all the juice. And I made I made strudels and I made a cherry cake and I made cherry turnovers. And I just had so much cherry, I was giving it away to everybody. <laughs> That's funny. Sounds like heaven. But now I drink, I put tart cherry juice in my smoothies to, to get that tart cherry because it's supposed to be really good for you. Yeah, mm, it is. If you have I'm gout, drink it. <laughs> I, wrote an article, uh, I wrote an article for Iftwa, and it's not out yet, but about uh, a winery I visited on Bainbridge Island in Seattle, um, where they don't, they do hand tilling, 
uh, hand pruning. Um, and what the scientist who now is the grape grower, the winemaker, it's a women-led business. She said that, you know, this was all written down for us in the 18th century. This is wow. how they stew farm and we got away from it we were like using you know mechanical things to till the land she and her and her staff of women um they have a draft horse and that's how they plow um and and, and it's amazing that we had this information and then we kind of you know industrialized and got away from it and now she's back to it and the wines are crisp and delicious and her philosophy is it's small batch um so it's always sold out, but um, you know when it's in when it's in stock and in season, it's just delightful. It's delicious, and it pairs beautifully with the food from the Seattle area. This the different seafood and the different um, vegetable. I mean, it's and cheese. It's just so amazing how and, and I guess this is how it is in Hungary and France. You're pairing the food from the same ter terroir, and it's amazing it's like pops and you're like wow like i can't believe the flavor here well it's like they do honey too you know locally they say it's good for you you're getting the local antibodies you're one with the earth basically so yeah. i think that's really part of it and that's a health thing i mean the more we you know go to these localized experiences and we all start doing it i think we can change the the soil of our country <laughs> We, we, we're having a problem with soil. So if we can start, you know, leaving fields fallow for a while and, and then, you know, I mean, they have always known about crop rotation, but how did we get so far away from the, um, the farming uh, that protects the earth and, and, and uh, yeah. so help profit <laughs> profit and then to make things cost effective. And then they, well, that's what that was sold, told we were sold yeah. and pesticide. Or keep everything looking as beautiful as the and I mean that's if that's hungry right Diane I mean look at the colors I mean it's so incredible mm -hmm. yeah it, it is the the tomatoes are always like I always say I can't wait to have a Hungarian tomato but it's um you know everything is really fresh and the thing that um you were saying about the wine um I remember when I went into the wine business a, a guy was telling me where I should sell wine and he goes you know Greek wines people don't always like Greek wines but if you're eating Greek food with Greek wine, it tastes great, you know, and so that's that's with Hungarian wines. But when I was trying to write about my my website, like what what do you pair with these wines? How do I describe the way these wines taste? And I would go through it. I'd have all the wines lined up and I'd be eating like tortilla soup or pizza or something that Americans would eat. Because when I asked the sommelier there, he's like, oh, you have pheasant and you have this. And I'm like, we don't eat pheasant generally in the U.S. So um, I would taste the different wines and then I would describe like, here's what it goes well with. And and I still think there is a, a lack of, you know, understanding of Hungarian wines, which is why I'm writing a book about it. Oh, that's so exciting. That's great. That is exciting. And that's the thing too, when we talk about, you know, um, the education part, I think once you, it's, it goes beyond, hey, I enjoyed this really good burger or whatever we're eating, right? You know, or tomato, or it goes beyond that. It's like, why? Why is it so good? And, you know, how can we change our, our food culture? And so as travel writers and food wine travel writers end up learning 
agriculture and all these things we didn't know we were going to learn about history. I mean, did that happen for you, Janine, as you started getting into this? You're like, man, education, this is this is not just going, oh, I had a really great meal here. Yeah. And you know what, when you <clears throat> when you go to Europe and you try things like I was in Italy and I went to Naples and had pizza. And I know that sounds silly because, mm. you know, we have plenty of pizza here in the United States, but in Italy, they just crush the tomatoes and they add maybe some seasonings, not a lot. And so it's just crushed tomato on bread, or you could add cheeses and toppings. But if you drill down to what it was, peasant food, you know, we have bread, we have olive oil, we have tomatoes. This is what we're doing tonight for dinner. Um, and then you go to a place where people are lined up down the block. It's in Naples called Don Michele. And he has a, a tomato pizza. It's just tomato on pizza. And it's heaven. Like you're just blown away because everything, all the flavors are just so pure that it's just, um, you know, amazing. And it's so simple. See, this is interesting. So you, you can become a better chef through what you're getting as ingredients, right? And instead of, you know, trying to, I mean, I don't eat tomatoes, but I feel like we need to do a tomato show just because yeah. the two of you talk about so many tomatoes. That's my thing. I'm not going to, but actually I do. And it, and it turned out, it's just, I hate American tomatoes. And because they're just the groceries, there's like white and it, it's the texture. Mm -hmm. I'll eat cooked tomatoes because you get more flavor. And I've had heirloom put tomatoes with, you know, oh, some cheese and some mozzarella and things. Now I'm okay. I can I can do this for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to push myself to get past that stigma of tomatoes. And it really comes from overproduced tomatoes. And so what do chefs do to have to counter it? That's why chefs are the biggest, you know, travel writers, food writers too, right? Um, the biggest... Um, champions of changing our food culture is the chefs because they know how are you going to take a really bad tomato that has typically been shipped across the country for 2000 miles hasn't even ripened on the vine it's you know that white hard you know they they suck how are mm -hmm. you going to make it into a decent tomato so now they're having to be a farmer too within a pot <laughs> <laughs> and when i was um my kids were little and I was a teacher, you know, I took the kids into the garden. We had a garden at the school where I taught mm. and we grew strawberries. And so when the strawberries were in season, awesome. we all made our way over to the garden and we were picking strawberries and I put one in my mouth because, you know, they're obviously clean and we had the hose, we just washed them off and the flavor blew me away. So I was like, something's up, you know, the strawberries I'm paying whatever a, a pint for, don't hold, hold a candle to what's right here in this garden. Um, I'm sure, Diane, you've noticed that too when you eat the cherries, you know, from Hungary. Like you have cherries at the American supermarkets and I don't mean to be ranking on America, but you know, the, 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 just the farm to your hand, to your mouth is like, boom, that's what it's supposed to taste like. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing in Hungary is like the best place to buy it. You go, they call it the piats. It's the marketplace. And, you know, there's just like, there's pickled vegetables, there's fresh vegetables, they have like a soup combination, which I can get in America, but I learned what celery root was when I went to Hungary, because they, their celery stalks are just like these little mini green, almost like just tubes, like straws, but 
the the celery root was the main part of the celery for them. So now I I buy celery root and put that in my soups as well as um, the celery stalks because you know we can get celery stalks, but they're very watery and the the root has a almost like a peppery flavor. Mm. But that you know the the and and then I would go there with five dollars. I kept saying, "Oh damn, I forgot I needed cash." And I and I'd go there and I'd come back with like these bags and bags of vegetables for just five dollars. I'd have mushrooms and carrots and you know all kinds of stuff. And and I always went and got you know like a coffee or something on on top of that. So. That's amazing, right? And and we've got a problem. I mean, now they're talking about how, look how expensive eggs are. That's a whole other weird thing going on with eggs. I don't know what to believe anymore. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, do you put them in the fridge? No, you don't do that. You do this if you've bought them from a farm. Oh, are they pasteurized? Do you want them or not? I don't know. I just know I, you know, I've done a lot of farm stays and everything. And when they come from the chicken, from the farm, they are just exquisitely dish delicious the yolks look hey i'm fresh you know eat me they've got a beautiful color and then all of a sudden like if you don't and you go to a normal grocery store egg you can take they taste this i don't know they it'll put me off eggs for weeks like i could get off of eggs for very easily when that happens because well, it's in like hunger, you can buy single eggs you they they'll sell you wow. eggs in a bag and you can buy them singly. But the thing about that is you don't, they're not refrigerated. And the reason they're not refrigerated is they don't wash them. Somebody was telling me that in the right. US that if you, that you need to wash the eggs um, or, and in, in the US they have to wash them. So you have to refrigerate them. There's some kind of protective layer. We but take that I off. Do, we boil them and wash them. Like we do this, we over preserve everything. Yeah. In upstate New York, I used to have a farmer who would just drop eggs off to my house every, you know, whenever I said I needed them. But she, I think, had to wash them in order to sell them. Legally. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't. I don't know what to say about the egg thing, because it's just I think that's the interesting thing. When you travel, you start to question everything. Is that what happens to you, Janine? I see you immediately like, uh huh. Well, you know, it's funny. I was I was in Montana and um, they served buffalo and I was like, whoa, uh, buffalo. But they humanely raise them and they're better for us other than a steak because they're leaner. Um, and it tasted just like beef that we know. It didn't taste gamey or anything like that. And so, you know, when you are in a certain part of the country and, and that's normal for you, and I'm just talking about the United States too. You're just like, oh, they eat buffalo here. Um, they prefer buffalo to beef. And yes, they have access to beef. It's the United States. But when you have the buffalo farm and then the buffalo comes to your plate, you know, they're serving buffalo up. And so um, again, it's just one of those, those interesting things. Like, you know, anywhere you go in the United States, like if I'm in Florida and I'm going to order snapper, I know that it came in the boat that day. Mm. And you know, sure, I had Snapper when I was living in New York City, you know, but, and, and maybe they shipped it in ice and maybe it got there 24 hours later, who knows, but um, it's just to have it right there. Mm. 
I think it's, it's, it's exciting what we're talking about. Um, let's talk a little bit about your careers and what led you into actually writing and going, okay, I'm going to become this. So let's start with you, Diane, because I know you, you've got, she's got an interesting background of astrology and all kinds of cool stuff. She's, she's busy. So what was it for you saying, I'm going to do this and um, yeah, I'm going to, and, and then focus on not just the destinations, but the food as well. Um, I always wanted to be a writer. I, when I was seven, I wrote a book and had my mother type it up and everything. And um, I drew the illustrations and stuff. And um, so I always knew I wanted to write. I I wanted to go to, to school for that. Ended up doing secretarial school first, but then went to school for media and communications while my kids were growing up. But um, I realized... Um, when I was in graduate school that I want, when I was un, an undergrad, I was afraid to fly. So I was mm. like, yeah, I, I like, you know, I like to travel, but I don't, I did more road trips. Um, but once I got over the fear of flying, it was like, oh, I just want to go abroad. And Europe is my, my go-to place. So I feel you know, I don't know that I could eat some of the weird things, although living in New York City, like you were talking about the African food, I, I would go to Ethiopian, an Ethiopian restaurant, and I loved it. I, mm -hmm. I was just thinking the other day, I wish I could make the injury and the the chickpea stew or whatever that, that I missed. Um, but but I don't know that I could eat that much um from from African cuisine but I love I love French I love German I love Hungarian surprisingly you know uh, you wouldn't think that Hungarians have uh much more than goulash or you know potatoes or something and, th and that's the old traditional foods but mm -hmm. they have in in May and June they have gourmet food festivals and it it just is exciting to me to just live i i remember writing in seventh grade that i wanted to go to europe and live like a local and and doing that oh is, you wrote it down see what happens when you write stuff down yeah. write it down make it happen <laughs> there's a book yeah. well I, lo I love i love that you talk about the fear of flying because it goes back to what we were talking about as well it's like i don't want to eat this you didn't want to eat the sardines but the next thing you know right because there's always that little bit of, and I think there's something about us all about travel and travel writing is you're kind of always challenging yourself to do something you already know deep down, I don't really want to. And then you do it and you're like, dude, I'm so glad I did that. Right. And so it's, and, and then it, you want everybody, like I could never travel as a, I just for travel. I can't like, to me, I want everybody to know everything they should do. I want you to have that experience that I had. I maybe not break down or whatever I went through because there's always some something mm. that makes a story, right? And that's the other thing. You've got to embrace all the bumps on the road, but that makes the funny road trip stories or travel stories. But I think that little bit of the unknown and food is a very personal weird thing about it because that's going in your mouth and you hope to hell you don't spit it out in front of people or make that face you know what I mean so it's like I think food is a very it it's different like you could go and say okay I don't quite like this activity or whatever but food that's 
someone's person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all love food, but if there's something, you know, so I like that you're talking about, you know, that fear, that um, that apprehension. I think there's something powerful about it. What you think is holding you back is what actually makes you go forward sometimes in life. So Janine, for you, I know you were talking about going through education and, you know, being a teacher and everything and, and loving to travel, but what was it for you that said, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. Well, you know, it's when you're a teacher, you're on a limited schedule. So you have, people think you have the whole summer off, but really we work until the end of June. And then, you know, the beginning, mid of August, we're back at school well before the kids come having meetings. So you have a window. And whenever that window would open, I would say, where are we going? Um, and it's just this addiction that I have this time to myself and I need to explore. Um, so being a teacher, you're curious because you're always having to research what's cool and what's good to teach the kids about this and that. Mm. So you're always doing a deep dive researching anyway. And um, I always was a writing teacher and constantly helping the kids to like make their stories more alive and more interesting. And um, these kids happened to have traveled too. And so they were writing some great stories. I mean, and I also worked in poorer schools and those kids don't have those experiences. So they mm. can't write as eloquently about something when they're just living a very localized life. And so we were able to get a grant and get some opportunities for them to see the Colosseum and see what it's like to be walking in old uh, ancient Rome. And then wow. they can write, you know, sort of from that experience, but really there's nothing like being there on the ground. And so I knew when I was going to retire from teaching that I had to go and, and, and feed my passion for travel. And then, like you said, oh my gosh, I had this great experience. We, you know, we had recently gone to the bottom of the Coliseum that just, just, just opened, you know, within the last year or so. Um, I've also been to the top of, of the Statue of Liberty too, where, when I was local. Um, so these are things that I'm curious about. And I just think, Oh, that was great. You got to try this. And here's why. So mm. I love to then broadcast out, like you said, you have to try this. This is like, I know. Don't you want to run around with a pot and ban? Like, <laughs> seriously, <Yeah. laughs> like go to hell from to the mountain. Yeah, yeah, you must do this. Now, do eat. I know, Diane, I know I've watched you, especially in the pandemic. She was doing cooking videos and teaching us all how to make things. Do you cook, Janine? I love to cook. Yeah. Oh. So I, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty simple cook because I like to use five ingredients, um, but I like to caress them and make them something interesting. I've done the bigger, you know, 20 ingredient thing. And I'm like, at the end of the day, really, yeah. if you just grill a piece of fish or chicken or whatever beef, and they make a, a, just a lovely salad or side, maybe risotto, something like that, you have a great meal. So yeah. Does travel it. and writing about food help you in the kitchen? with what you do and the creative creativity of dishes? I, I think so, because if I've gone to, I, I mean, mostly I, I'm Italian by heritage, so mostly I cook Italian food, but, you know, I'm, I want, I've never been to Japan, but I've been to a lot of ramen shops and I'm like, we should make ramen, you know, so, or we'll make, you know, homemade ravioli because we just got back from Italy and we've had this incredible ravioli or whatever it is, like we, went on the trip and then we're like we need to recreate that at home you know that's ah. 
And that kind of happened with you too, Diane, isn't it? Uh, in regards to cooking, because you, you start making all these Hungarian dishes and soups and I'm like, she's off to the races. Well, you know what it is when I go to Hungary, it's uh, if I go to the a grocery store, I mean, they have the big grocery stores like Tesco and stuff, but they have these, you know, little corner grocery stores. And I just love to look at the little, the products and I'll be like, what is this? And I'll, sometimes I buy it just to see what is it and, and how do you use it? And I'll ask people, well, what's the difference? Because in Hungary, they have different kinds of cream and the boxes will say hobscene, tasting, seen means cream, but tasting is milk cream, hobscene is whipped cream. So I don't know, is it whipped in the box or is it whipping cream? You know, so I, I kind of experiment when I'm there, like, well, what do you do with this? And, and I bought some cookbooks and luckily know some of the language so I can, can do that. But uh, I try to try to re replicate whatever I've experienced and, and share it with others. In fact, that's why I went into the wine business. I said, the wine in Hungary is so good and nobody even, you know, knows anything about it. So I thought, well, I'll bring it to America and, and yeah, they'll see. love it. <laughs> it's a lot harder than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's not an easy, that's not an easy task. So where are each of you going next? Where, where for you, Janine? Uh, well, I'm actually taking a personal trip, which I'm sure I'll write about, but in May, I'm going to Utah and I'm going to be in an RV and that's going to be funny for cooking in the RV, um, but we're going to be traveling to three national parks. So my husband and I are doing a, a road trip um, of sorts, just because we really want to be in the parks at night and see the stars and, you know, um, and so that'll be an experience. So I'm going to be writing about that when I return and, and, and just describe what it's like to live in an RV for a couple of weeks heading to these national parks. So we don't RV, but that's what we do full time. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> parks. I mean, we do. That's our Love Your Parks Tour, document parks and public lands across the country. And there is something you're very right about the, the night sky. Um, so many people think of parks and hiking during the day, but parks at night and there's so many programs that rangers do and just to be to see the stars at night away from cities um there's a lot of international dark sky certified parks that um not just for national parks but state and regional parks too and once you experience that when they it's it's humbling it is humbling and it's you feel more connected you know john muir said that you know you're we're all connected through the stars and everything and it's really it's quite true when you go out there. So I'm I'm going to be following you on social media and everything. I want to see. I want to I want to know what you're going through out out there. That's awesome. But <laughs> I know and the RV, we don't do the RV thing because you don't want to see me drive because I I go down stupid roads. I'm like that looks interesting. Oh, we can get over that. We can get through it. Poor car. But anyway, Di Diane, where for you is the next big thing is Hungary, right? But do you have any other well, trips? I'm going to stop in the UK. I have never been, I've only oh. been through Heathrow. So I found that my cousin's kids live in the UK and they've invited me to stay with them. So I'll do uh, maybe 10 days in the UK. And then after that, I'm going to Hungary, but I've been going through a lot of books um, about cruises because I'm not really an ocean cruise, but I love the river cruises and I know like Ama Waterways has now a new seven river cruise where it's like 45 days on river cruise Ooh. that goes 
through through Europe, and that's my dream cruise is the Seven River Cruise through Europe. Ooh, ooh, a forty five day cruise because you have these excursions, like you were saying, like with Viking, you're getting off, so you have these you can have these culinary, you know, adventures. Well, you can even see people like camping along the river um, in their you know their campers, especially in Germany, and they're you know barbecuing in the morning. They're they're making their breakfast and. Um, it's just, it, you're right there in the river. You're right in the, in the town. You can see them living and then you get off and you can go in and explore it. And I just love it. I really love the river Ooh. cruises. Yeah. You're floating. That's cool. I, that's a lot of people think immediately cruising is the big ocean, you know, the cities on a ship, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a nice and different. So Diane, when did you get started with uh, IFTWA, the International Food Wine Travel Writers Association? You've been with them for a while now, huh? Well, yeah. In 2017, I went to Hungary for three, three months and I, I wrote a bunch of travel articles for a newspaper I had worked for in um, Citrus County, Florida. And I was able to get enough of the, the, the required writing, you know, clips um, for them to join because they do want to see your clips. They want to know that you've been doing this for a couple of years. And once I did that, and by 2018, I was able to join and um, started out doing some Disney stuff when I came to Orlando. But um, Hungary is my, you know, she's got a passion. It's passion. passion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it tastes good. That's all I can say is it tastes good. Got me hungry. I, I might try one of those tomatoes to get me past that. That's really good. For you, Janine, how long have you been with IFTWA? Uh, I think I believe I joined in 2019. Um, I had started my writing career in 2017. And just as it was starting to gain some steam, of course, we had the pandemic. So, um, you know, mo like most people, I pivoted and I wrote other things. But luckily, I joined IFTWA, and you know, it was kind of a lifeline because we were meeting via Zoom uh, to, to with destinations, um, so I could travel that way. So that mm -hmm. was such a great perk. And yes, we're still doing it when there is no pandemic and we can go places. But to have the destinations, I remember I, I learned about the San Juan Islands and I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to go to Whidbey Island, the San, you know, the San Juan Islands. And so it was wonderful to travel from your armchair. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the organization is fabulous because they have um, educational webinars to improve your writing game or they'll introduce you to destinations and why you would want to go. And then it gets you uh, inspired to write stories and then you can taste wine. I mean, it's really a cool- And they've got uh, a cool magazine, Food, Wine, Travel magazine, yeah. FWT too. And uh, their conference is coming up in October, um, mm -hmm. which I think is gonna be neat because that's gonna be a cruise. There you go, Diane, yeah, come on. I know, that's <laughs> on my- cruise. It's on my back burner. I have to see what's going on when I go to Europe, what's gonna happen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think they did really good during the pandemic. Um, no, you know, they do their conference typically every year, two years, and it was not, and that's not an easy thing to work on during a pandemic, but they'd managed to get one last year in Florida. Did either of you get to go to the? I, I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Did you get to go, Janine? I did. I did. And it was in Tampa. And um, actually we you know, we're in St. Petersburg too. And I got to go to the Dali Museum. So I got to see yeah. 
I had just moved to, to, to the area and I'm an hour South of Tampa. So I got to see, um, St. Petersburg, which, wow. You know, I was blown away. What about you, Diane? Did you like St. Petersburg? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I had never been to St. Petersburg. I, even though I lived in Citrus County, which is only like an hour or two North of, uh, Tampa area, but, um, I was supposed to go on the immediate tour to uh, Fort Lauderdale as well, but I had gotten um, some health issues and I had to leave after St. Petersburg. But I really enjoyed seeing everybody in person. You know, mm -hmm. I with the I didn't go to the Albuquerque one. I didn't go too far west, but because it was in Florida, I said, "Well, I have to go." You know, yeah. it's not too far. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I think there's such good networking. That's what, you know, all the writers tell me. It's like, it's really cool to have a support, like you were saying, like a lifeline. It's because from what I'm seeing, it it doesn't, it, you know, obviously in every industry, there's competition, which is actually really a good thing. But what I've seen for, and heard from everybody is everyone's helping each other with contacts, connections, how to do this. Oh, I use this for social media, whatever it is. And I, I love following IFTWA on social media because talk about armchair travel. Yeah. I'm like, I got five minutes before the next Zoom meeting. <laughs> Quick, go on Twitter, hashtag IFWTWA. And I'm like, look where they went. I'm hungry. Like, I'm jealous. <laughs> so, well, they also, they help us build up our, our following when we, we share our Twitter or we share our Instagram. And then they say, go and look at, if you share something, then go look at somebody else's and like their stuff. So you can build up a following that that's way. That's nice. That's the beauty of writing now you know, um, being digital. And, and I love print and that's our background is, you know, it, all the way back to typesetting. And I mean, as a kid, I was doing that, you know, and, um, you know, now we're looking at what, I feel like we're busier now than it's digital because it's nonstop, but yeah. we're able to connect with people around the world mm -hmm. in such an easy way compared to what travel writers went through years ago. You know, it's, Agreed. it's, yeah, it, and yet at the same time, there's been some huge changes for write, the writing industry that are not as positive, but, um, you know, it's the way the world works. So, but ladies, well, go ahead. Got into publishing go. and, ra you know, doing radio shows. It, it's so much easier now to, to do that mm -hmm. than it was back, back in the day. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, too, is I think all travel writers used to be years ago that, you know, you had a photographer in tow and you're just doing the writing. And now it's like you have to be everything. And mm -hmm. so I think that's one of the benefits of IFTWA and organizations like them is you have to hone all your skills. <laughs> you can't just do one, right? It's like you have to, you can be main this way, but you have to all learn how to do photography and, you know, and you're all good at that. And it, I think that's important that you have to do social media, but travel writers weren't required to do that years ago, you know? But now we so, can. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we can do anything we want. I'm just saying if we put our minds to it, right? We can even fly, right, Diane? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, uh, we'll, we'll be able to beam me up. <laughs> That's what I I'm know. Waiting. You know it's going to happen, right? Eventually, we're going to have our own little bubble cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be. I'm, I want the bubble car. I want to be able to go underwater with it, too. <laughs> oh. So, everyone, uh, keep up with Diane. It is gettinghungry.com. And then, uh, Janine, it is jcons travels.com so it's janine consoli so that's how that comes about um best social media for you janine for people to keep up with you instagram jcons travels okay and then for you diane 
Um, either Facebook getting hungry or uh, Instagram getting underscore hungry. Okay. I am getting hungry. <laughs> I can't help it. You guys haven't made anything easier here for me on that level. Uh, also, everyone keep up with IFTWA's IFWTWA.org. And like I said, their conference is coming up in October and it is open to non-members, also to non-member destinations. So if you're a destination marketing organization, a CVB, uh, a winery, uh, you name it, um, that's probably going to be something really cool for you, as well as writers, photographers, authors in the industry. Uh, so ifwtwa.org. Again, you do not need to be a member to be part of it. And of course, keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. Uh, we are here every third Friday with a travel panel, and uh, it's so much fun. It's great to to chat with you all. Good to see you again, Diane. Nice to meet you, Janine. Thank you both. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having us. Take care.